This episode of the Once in a Blue Moon podcast is brought to you by The Film List, hosted by Heath Solo. We thank Heath for letting us put this podcast on his feed. And remember, if you have a list of favorite films, music, TV shows, anything, send it to Heath, thefilmlist at gmail.com. This episode of the Once in a Blue Moon podcast will cover the most recent episodes of Parks and Rec, Doctor Who, Walking Dead, Dexter, and all of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and through Season 5, Episode 8 of Angel. If you haven't seen those episodes, you may want to avoid this podcast. If you have seen all of those episodes, we hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Blue Moon Podcast. The most unluckiest podcast ever. It took us 30 minutes to get it running, and now we're all deflated. But hopefully we can get our excitement in and talk about these shows. Coming up tonight on the podcast, we're going to be talking about Parks and Rec, Doctor Who, Buffy and R. Angel, The Walking Dead, and Dexter. Did I leave anything out? Yep, that sounds good to me. All right, well, let's dive right in. We can um, be in the park since there's not too much to dissect, but um, I think the last episode we watched was a while ago. But um, it was... I think the episode before the sex education one, which was brilliant, but um, <laughs> I, I think overall, like, I'm very much getting back into the season. Um, I really think that they're doing a lot of good job, a lot of, sorry, they're doing a good job of developing a lot of certain characters like Tom. Like, I feel like he has way more depth in than he ever has in the entire show. And, like, I feel like they're also kind of giving some more backbone not intentionally, but, like, with Jerry. Like, his episode was so awesome. Like, I'm, I'm really into everything that they're they're doing in point strings for. So, I don't know. I got to say, like, I was kind of doubtful when this first season or when this season began, but now I'm really, really into the things that they're presenting. So, I'm, I'm very excited for the direction that they have been moving. And same thing with all the other characters, and we can get into that later, but... Right now, I have a lot of attention towards Tom and his kind of, like, character development. I'm really, really enjoying that aspect of the show. Um, Do you you have any kind of thing to add to that specifically, or am I alone in that? (laughs) You're all alone. I don't agree with anything. I'm joking. Uh, I'm right there with you, Tom. I think Tom, maybe the last two or three years, has been like, Tom, 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 and you can't get enough of him. Uh, he's one of those characters that you kind of root for. He's uh, he, it's it's almost like the the characters on TV that we like the most would be the ones that that were jerks in real life that we wouldn't want to talk to. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's like when you're watching it from a, the outside perspective, you kind of root for Tom, and you want him to to, to succeed. Um, like you said with Jerry, that the Jerry episode was was marvelous. I loved it. Yeah. And I didn't think I'd ever ever really care about Jerry. Like that, but it, it kind of gave you like a, that little feeling. I like, go, oh, he's a family guy, and he's just bad luck. And it was nice to see, um, like Tom and everyone come around and, and actually make him happy and make him smile. And I was, because you do kind of feel sorry for him. And then he was like, he had been emailing them. He's a really nice guy, but it's like everyone's just so mean to him. Yeah. Uh, my my snubs for this season though are Donna and Anne. Mm-hmm. Because I I just don't think that. They, they're just kind of there. And it's okay with Donna because 
that's already sort of been established that she was just a minor character always from the beginning. But it seems like Anne used to have such a big role. Now she's really just barely there. I, I, I hardly could even tell you what she's done this season, if she's done anything at all. Yeah, I definitely see that point. And it's so weird because, like, I'm kind of hoping that we'd get something more out of it. But it's just, like, little little adjustments here and there to her character or something to that effect. And I'm just wondering, like, if they're planning for something bigger for her or if it's just going to be, like, this is what she's kind of watered down to. Um, in either case, you know, there's a whole lot of other things going on, which I, I think might be a little bit of overkill, like, they added something more to her character, so maybe it's for the better of, you know, the rest of the storylines happening, not to give her something so serious like everyone else at the moment. And yeah. and maybe that's the reason why it looks so dull with her character, because there are many different things going on with basically everyone else, or just about everyone else. And with her, she's just kind of, you know, background-ish, and it's, kind of like, well, what are you doing? But maybe it's just, you know, for the fact that everyone else has so much more going on than normal. So that's kind of why, it, and maybe that's why it appears to be that way, to us right now, at least. But, yeah. You, oh, go ahead. Are you still, are you still buying the, the Leslie and Ben chip? I, I am. I think it's, I think it's adorable. I love it so much. And I don't know, like, it's just they're both very determined people, and it always works out, or it usually works out with very determined people. And, like, I don't know, they're just, the, the show is just constantly building on, on those two and how much stronger they're going to get. So I'm wondering all this if all this building is going to lead to some kind of disappointment, you know, because how tragic could that be? But um, yeah. I'm, I'm rooting for it. I'm also rooting for Andy and, and um, April, just because, like, their dynamic is just so, like, Inter, I don't know, like it intertwines, but it also is so opposite at the same time. So, like, they work very well on screen together, too. So, I don't know. I, I think, like, the, those two, Andy and April and Ben and um, Leslie, are, are, like, the two strong strong points, like, in terms of relationships. Like, I'm really rooting for those two to kind of, like, if the series ends anytime soon, like, those would be the guys on top, you know, like, those, re- those relationships. At least I'm hoping. And then um, I was going to also ask, what do you think about Chris's character? Because he's kind of uh, back and forth, but seems to be a little more accepting with uh, that last episode, I think, with with Jerry, when he kind of, like, accepts what happens with his ex-girlfriend or whatever. Like, do you think that's some progression or something? Yeah, I can't really tell with him because it it seems the way he's he's playing it, the, uh, the actor's playing it, it's almost like he's playing it as like he's holding it in, and it's just all gonna come out. Yeah. And he's just gonna have a, a like a breakdown. Mm-hmm. And as much as I love Chris, I, I do love what they do with his character, like right from the beginning, the, the positive, one hundred percent positive guy. And I thought that the best thing you could do was was kind of break him down, which is what they did. And now I don't, I'm not sure where they're gonna go with it because I really can't tell if he's if he's holding it in or if he's being genuine. Right. If he's genuinely over it. You know, so cause it seems like he's just having a lot of bad luck. I think it's getting to him. Yeah, I, I can never tell either. Like, I want to believe he's getting better, but, you know, it's just because he's so back and forth. that you we're, We've watched him deteriorate this whole season, so it's kind of like, yeah. is this a first step forward or is this many steps back? You know, it's kind of, and it's always like, an always it's always a mystery with his character, especially because it's, 
we never know what's going on. We always expect him to be this way. And then when that ex- expectation's kind of like, you know, broken or whatever, it's just very, very weird to kind of fill out the situation. And because he's a very weird character too. So yes. I don't know. I'm I'm very intrigued with where they go with him. Like I, I really wish that him and Anne would be together, but like it just seems like they're kind of pushing away from that whole idea. So uh, I don't know. I wish I could ship those two forever. <laughs> it, 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 does, it does seem like Anne probably is the best thing for him at this point, but it's it's almost like I prefer this thing away from what's going to happen. So yeah, I really exactly. And uh, one of the funniest things. Uh, that I could I could think of right now from him was the Halloween episode where he uh just trying to find something to to dress up as and said, you know, go as your worst fear. So he dressed up as himself older. Oh yeah. That was, that was really funny. Oh, and then um the uh episode with uh I think her name's Diane, Ron's um personal interest. Yes. Um, is that her name? No, she played Zena. What's her, um, Lucy, is it Lucy Lawless? Oh, oh, right, right. Her, oh, I didn't know that was her. Interesting. I was like, why yeah, is she so familiar? <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. Um, I was going to ask, what do you, what do you think about her and the, the episode with, um, the chairs and the whole woodshop thing with Ron? That was probably one of the funniest episodes yeah. of comedy that I've seen in, in a long time. It was I mean, very refreshing, I think. <laughs> and it was, I, it was sort of a raw episode, which made it all, all the more better. But just, just that setting, to put them in that a wood shopping place and then have um, Tammy come, I, it was just perfect. Everything just fell together perfect for that episode. Yeah, and I think, too, because like, I always felt like they kind of played along on, on these lines of what, what could be with Leslie and Ron. Like, I feel like they finally yeah. put the nail in the coffin that that's never ever going to be something and that they're friends and that's how it will always be. And I think that that episode kind of answered all those questions and theories possibly like that will never happen. These people are friends and they will always be friends, you know? And, and it was kind of like a reassuring episode for, for maybe the viewers and for, you know, Diane, I think that's her name. Um, just to kind of show like these people are important to Ron, but they are not, the one who gets to see the side of him as, as she does, as Diane does. So it was good. And there was just so many great elements happening between all the characters. Like, that was probably one of my favorites of the season, I think, so far at least. Very, very happy with that was, a, that was a great way to, to have a, a great episode to have before the break. But I yeah. agree with what you said. that It was a really refreshing episode, a really good way to say, look, it's not going to happen you – Teenage fan fiction writers and Leslie and Ron aren't going to get together, so drop it. Uh, right. and I, the thing I like about this show is that it doesn't it doesn't like call for that fan service type of thing. It, it plays to its strengths and it it does well with that every time. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, I think that's all I got off the top of my head. <laughs> I yeah, we always talk for like an hour about Parks and Rec. Yeah, <laughs> let's not do that again. <laughs> All I can say, guys, is that, you know, if it's got Xena Warrior Princess in it, i got to catch up with this show. <laughs> she's good. She's good in it, and it's kind of it's kind of nice to have um, a love interest for Ron, but it, it, at the same time, it scares me because of the casting. I don't know if she's the kind of actor that would commit long-term to a show like this. Yeah. So I don't, I, I don't, I'm trying not to get invested in the whole relationship thing. 
I think it'll work out. I'm, I mean, like, it just seems, because she's not there as often as the other characters, for obvious reasons, you know, but... Yeah. I don't know, I think that depending on how often she comes on, maybe there's a good chance that she'll stay. That, and I feel like they're doing a lot of groundwork with his Ron's relationship with her that, you know, that's implying maybe that this is something more long-term. But, I mean, this is all speculation, so I'm I'm rooting for it to continue. And do you guys, do you know when they're going to bring back the shows? I can't do this anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's not not on tonight, I don't think. No, it's not on tonight. It's depressing. <laughs> it might be, it might be mid mid January. I don't know when the show comes back. But I mean, they've already brought back American Horror Story and, and Big Bang Theory, so it's not going to be long before NBC yeah. catches up and brings the shows back. Fingers crossed. Next week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Okay. So um, yeah, I think that's all I got for Parks and Rec. So. All right. Well, Matt, you have the precious voice, so you pick the next show. <laughs> yes. Let's uh, since I since uh, I guess I am the only one who has said maybe two words so far. Uh, let's add two more words: Walking Dead and go there. Oh. Um, I loved uh this season. Um, but I, something that I keep reiterating to people uh that I I think uh a lot of people have missed is that. I know a lot of people were were bagging on season two, and and with good reason if you were looking for a different kind of, of story. But I really feel like that season three was much more, uh, or the first half of season three had a lot more gravitas simply for the fact that uh, we took the time to learn about those characters more in season two. Otherwise, I don't think I would have cared as much about what was going on, um, and I don't think the action would have been as uh, prevalent would have been able to be as prevalent in this first half of the season uh, without that. What do you guys, I mean, did you did you feel more impacted by what happened to the characters this time around, even though they kind of, they did go a lot quicker with the story, they did move along? And what's this deal also, let me just throw this out there too, uh, the, uh, the current showrunner is going to let go of the reins after this season is complete. Oh, there's a lot of questions. Let's see. I... <laughs> I was probably one of the most vocal people um, about season two and how slow it was. It was just obvious stalling to me. They they only had a limited amount of stuff to do, and they tried to stretch it out. And that first half was just brutal to me. There was some strong stuff in there, but I think the best thing to do would, would have been to compromise. You know, you can you can move you can move a story slow and still have stuff happening. There was plenty of episodes where. I, I would leave and, and say, well, I don't think anything actually happened in that episode. And I think Breaking Bad is one of the the um, examples of that, how you can really have a slow-moving show that's just really intense. And it was almost like this is what The Walking Dead was trying to do, but there wasn't enough stuff there. Um, but like when I came back from the break, I thought it, it, met, it met the viewers and, and what they wanted to do halfway. And it picked up the pace a little bit, but it still... It still would slower generally in season one, or, or and not not quite as fast as season three has been. So, I felt that that was when it was at its strongest, and possibly that one episode before the break, um, when the little girl that came back, that was really a, a good episode. And, you know, it wasn't it wasn't all bad. And uh, your second question, I think, was, you know, did the, the stuff really mean that much to to us? I think by by this point, season three, 
they could afford to, you know, pick up the pace a little bit more, spend a little less time on the characters because the characters are so established by now. And, you know, you can, you, you have these new characters and you can build them a little quicker by having them play up on the characters that you already have, you know, rather than just having them all just sit around and talk. And I think that um, a sense of urgency also helps, you know, and having these new characters like the mayor or the governor or whatever he is, that stuff all, all makes it interesting. And there's, there's a lot more meat to this season already than there was last year where it was really just hanging out at the old farm. You know, that's yeah. really all it was for a, a big chunk of the season. But there's a lot more story to tell this season. So it, it kind of gets jumping all around. It's not just focusing on one spot. So it, it keeps me interested. At least that, that's me. And I had no idea about the showrunners. Uh, the showrunner leaving. Generally, I don't have a problem when that happens, as long as you keep keep the story fresh and keep reinventing it. And uh, and in this particular instance, where a lot of the story is drawn from, you know, stuff that's already been made, like uh, the comics or a book, for instance, I don't worry that much because it's really it's already a, an established story that's there to draw from. So it's really just how the showrunner chooses to tell that story. You know that that you need to worry about. So I'm not that worried about it. I'm hoping that they'll bring like a new take on this, or um, a refreshing take on the story. Cool. Hey, uh, Camille, uh, yes. what did you think about Michonne? I think overall, like she has a lot of potential. I just don't think that it's completely like unlocked yet. You know, I feel like she has a lot of things that she has to offer, but Vocally, we have yet to see any of that, and hardly physically. I feel we're, we're slowly getting her to unravel and slowly getting her to kind of open up, and especially to Rick. So I feel the second half of this season is going to kind of pull back some more layers of her very thick shell that she has. And um, I mean, because I've heard people say a lot of, you know, she's kind of one-dimensional and, there's not much to her, and and to an extent, there there really isn't. She doesn't really share anything, like internally. So, to a, to a degree, it is true. But I feel like she's just one of those characters. She you got to give her time to kind of get to a point where she's comfortable, which makes it you know kind of believable, given her kind of like her status quo in, in the show overall. Like, I personally love her though. Like, I think she's gonna have a lot of great things to add in the future, and um, ultimately. Like, she's just a badass. Like, she just, she she does what she needs to do. And even though it's kind of unconventional for the group, she knows how to take care of herself. And that's that's great to see in a show that's not Whedon, you know, a female taking care of herself. So it's it's refreshing to see that somewhere else. I'm just kind of, I'm waiting for her to develop more because I, I do think that she needs some, she needs more character development, but I do think that that's going to come within time, you know. Yeah. I can see that. I, there, there were a couple of times I got a little annoyed. I felt like she was underutilized with just staring at people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, exactly. Which wasn't that af- wasn't that effective to me in that. But uh, she definitely is. Uh, she definitely is quite a fighter. Uh, the couple of scenes we've seen her handle that sword, it's been pretty awesome. The only other thing that I, I wanted to ask you guys uh, about Walking Dead: Daryl or Merle? Who wins? I'm going Daryl. Just because I, I feel like Merle is uh, is a, a guest star and remains a guest star, I don't know. I, I want to say the same, but like if I didn't have that notion in my head, I would almost say 
Merle just because he's a lot more ruthless than Daryl is. And because Daryl's kind of become like a leader, he's kind of had to be more personal. Like he has had to be, he has to have more like social skills, you know. And when his brother was around, he lacked that. He was very much like anti everyone. And so it kind of gives him a conscience to be around more people. He has a conscience now. He kind of like, he's definitely changed since, you know, his brother has no longer been in the picture. So I feel like, you know, that kind of gives him a weakness to his brother, like giving him, giving his brother the advantage of killing him, Merle giving the, giving him the advantage. But I, I don't know. I'm all about like Daryl. So I, I don't know. <laughs> and what about you, Donald, Daryl or Merle? Here's the thing. If I had to put any kind of money on, on someone that's going to die by the end of the season, just going by this show's track record, it's, it's probably going to be Daryl because they don't they don't seem to care, you know, if you like a character or not. It's all about we're going to shock the crap out of you, you know. We're not going to do what you think we're going to do. It, it doesn't matter if you like a character or if it's like a, um, you know, Lori. Oh, she just had a baby. Yeah, kill well, who her. likes, who likes you know, Lori, really? <laughs> Well, yeah, you're right, you're right, but the the fact that, okay, she's a mother, she just had a baby, you're probably thinking, well, she's safe. No. And uh, I got the same, get the same impression from Daryl. Oh, he's really likable, you know, he's doing a lot of stuff. The fan base seems to respond positively to him. Let's kill him. It's just a feeling that I have that just this show just doesn't care. You know, it does what it it has to do or what it it feels necessary to do. I mean, look at Dale. I mean, he, he seemed like a good character that was going somewhere. And then he died in, like, the, the dumbest possible way. They just didn't care. It's like, we're going to kill him. You know, he watches all day, but he can't see a zombie creeping up behind him, you know, like, really, in an open field. But um, it's one of, the, one of the things that, you know, without – I haven't read that much of the the, um, the comic book or anything, so I don't know if, if they're still in it or not. I don't know the order that they kill people or if people are still alive that aren't supposed to be or, or what, but – it's one of the problems that I have with with Michonne, like, uh, is that she's she's like a she's almost a fool's gold character if I can classify her as, as something, because yeah, she, on the outside she's cool, you know, she's this new character that was introduced in like a badass way. She fights with a sword, but she's she's literally the flattest character I've ever seen. She has I cannot understand her motivations. Why does she want to kill the government? Why does she want to fight the government? There's nothing that they've shown us in the story that would like, convince me that she wants him dead, or why she would want him dead. And there's a very specific thing that happens in the comic that they just chose not to do, which would easily make her character 100% more understandable and probably likable, but they just chose not to do it, but yet they still follow the story of her wanting to, you know, kill the government, which to me, they're just doing it because it was in the comics. Her character herself has no motivation for doing any other stuff that I've seen her do other than she hates zombies, the governor seems to keep one locked up, so that makes her want to kill him, and that's just not believable in any way to me. So I, I just don't like the character, other than the fact that she's really cool. But like Camille said, I'm hoping that they'll build her, but in a way, I just see her as being one of the just dies in the finale, too. It's just it's just like the way I see it. And I could be wrong. Hopefully I am, but that's just what, I, what I'm getting from it. Damn. <laughs> right to the point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm harsh with it, but hey, somebody's got to be. Right I, I, I'm just hopeful for her. I just, like, I, I totally get what you're saying, and I definitely feel that way as well when it comes to Michonne, because it's, 
it's so aggravating to see someone with such intense motivations to do something, but when you're watching her this whole time, like, you don't get why she's not communicating it in any way. So it becomes so, like, it's just like, is she does she really want to kill him? Is she, you know, what's her motivation for it? Like you said, there's no, there's no real, like, record of her doing or saying these things, which, you know, it's aggravating because, like they've said, we spent all this time with her and she hasn't said a word about this. Yes. So it's just kind of like, where is this coming from? Like, because you just don't trust him, you want to kill him? Like, I don't, I just wish there was more, like, of us to understand her character, because she seems so complex, you know? Really, she, she, she sort of is, and, and it's more frustrating when you know, you know, from the original text, like, what her motivation is, and in the show, they just almost deliberately just don't go there. They just don't do it at all. And not to mention, you have Andrea ruining, like, every scene, just ruining everything for me because I just don't like her. Oh, and, gosh. you know, her, uh, I just want her going. And that's the character that's probably going to live to, like, the last scene of the very last season. Yeah, well, what's your thoughts on, on Andrea, Matt? Um, there's been times when I've really uh, empathized with Andrea, but I think ever since the whole thing with Shane, I've liked her a lot and a lot less. And uh, this whole season with the governor, I was just like, Oh man, are they really going to go there with that? And it it doesn't add anything to the story at all no, to me. It does. You know, uh, it, it, because and I think for a good reason that you guys pointed out about Michonne, because evidently there you know there's supposed to be this alliance there, and I think them kind of being on opposite sides of things is supposed to be something big, but it doesn't feel big uh, simply because of the way that uh, I think both characters have been written this year. Yeah. So the problem, too, I feel with, with Andrea is we see her kind of develop this kind of backbone with Rick's group, and then when she gets into this, this other place now, she's kind of like loose. She's kind of like getting too comfortable, you know. she's She doesn't seem to be more alarmed, you know. She kind of like, I don't know, like maybe she's realizing now at this point, like where, they, where the midseason was, like she's realizing that they're taking away her motivations to want to do stuff, and then you know, the governor is constantly kind of undermining her, telling her she can't do this or that, even though she knows she can. So it's just kind of like, hopefully that she'll she'll realize that they're kind of underusing her in a sense in the in the place that she's at. But it's like they're underusing her and kind of contradicting all the building they've been doing with her because she seemed to have you know, she she kind of grew like she had this potential leader thing going on when she was with Rick's group, and then. You know, they got separated, and now it's like all that work's just kind of coming undone. And it seems like she's more willing to kind of play ignorant like the rest of the people in that town, which for me seems so just outlandish because she she didn't seem like that type of person when she was with Rick's group. So I don't know if that's speaking about, like, the character that she is or that type of person that she is, but I just I don't like how she's completely inconsistent with who she is when when she's in these different scenarios. Because it seems like if you're going to be a survivor, you're going to want to survive. And when she's with this other, these, these, the governor, it's just like she doesn't care, you know, not as much at least. So I'm just kind of wondering what the, what, what was the motivation for that and her character writing. Because for me, it's a little insulting to see her go from this potential badass to, like, this little girl who wants to play ignorant. Like, I don't get it. 
know. Yeah, I, I almost kind of feel like that. What they're trying to say is that she's bought into the fantasy of a normal life again. Nice. Uh, someone who uh, has lost a lot and had to live the way that she lived for a while. You know, even with Michonne, and here is kind of a salvation, and that's why she's kind of putting these things aside. But it it wasn't characterized enough, I think, in that way. Uh, I mean, that's just me just trying to put pieces together rather than it being shown to me in the story itself. And uh, I think that's a fail on the show's part. I definitely agree there. <laughs> Not laying <for> one bit. <laughs> I don't know. Donald, any Andrea? Th- well, you kind of already said how you felt about Andrea. Yes, I am. Uh, <laughs> can we talk about Rick for a second? Yeah, so sure. Talk about I think, Rick. Yes, I think he that what's what's going on with him is probably is one of the most powerful things in the show right now. Um, and where do you guys think he's going? He's obviously going insane right now. So uh, how do you think that's going to play out? I think like overall, he has probably had the best development of the show, and that the show could offer, even as like the drama and the story around them goes. Like, I couldn't even believe how amazing. And how much I actually felt during the scene when when Lori dies. Like, it was just, I, like, I felt it so much. I never felt any kind of emotion towards the show. But that scene where, you know, he's freaking out and crying and Carl's freaking out yeah. and crying, like, that was so powerful to me. Because we see him just go through all this stuff and, like, we're rooting for him. He finally gets back to him. He's telling these people, like, you need to listen to me and, like, taking a full-on leadership. And then, like, everything just gets messed up and it's, like, him like deteriorate like that. Um, I just think that this this season, especially these last couple episodes, have just given us a side of Rick that we haven't really seen before, and we're seeing him in ways that we've kind of they kind of hinted at, but never really actually acted out on. Which I'm really excited for, just because I feel like the actor has good potential now, at least with the stuff that he's working with. So. Uh-huh. I'm I'm really excited for the things that they've done with him, and I I think he's one of the best things, like one of the best characters in the show now. Which you know, come season like mid season two, I would have never thought I'd say that, just because it just didn't really look to be. It wasn't really appealing at the time, like what he was doing and who he was. But you know, because he's had all these tragedies and triumphs, he's obviously a totally different character now. So I'm 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 really into the things that they're they're kind of developing him into overall he's i think he's come a long way and you can see it even physically so i don't know i'm i'm into what they're doing he's he's great uh, i mean i totally agree the the scene where you know where it's revealed that he's like talking on the phone to pretty much nobody it just made me just you know i just stood there with my mouth open like wow because <laughs> the way they play it they play it so much better on the show than they did in the comic where He's sort of like walking around with the phone and it's not plugged in and it's really not subtle at all. But on the show, it's like you actually think maybe, oh, he's talking to someone. You know, then when it's revealed that it's like it's Lori and other people that died, you're like, oh, crap, he's, he's, he's lost it. <laughs> and it's just a, um, just a remarkable thing how he's how he's playing it. And he, it's almost like instantly in one episode, he stepped his acting game up like 100 points easily. And you just it's like you're almost watching a whole new character out there, and it's very refreshing. Very cool. Hey, guys, one last question about Walking Dead. I know we've been talking about it for a long time, but uh, the guy in the shack, was it a good move to push him out the door and let him be food uh, while they uh, got out the back door? Uh, 
Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, it's just such a weird thing under the circumstance of, like, the type of world they're living in. I mean, I honestly don't know, like, how that would have, how that could have played out differently, like, and benefited the group. Outside of the obvious him not, you know, calling it the walkers, but I don't know. It's just, I think, I honestly, I have no, I, I have no, like, judgment on that because I honestly don't know what I would have done mm. under the under those situations. Like, I just have no clue, like, what I'd even vote for in that case, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, I think it, it marks a, a, a stark change in the attitude of the group in general and the way that they approach life. I mean, we saw all last season, too, how they were trying to preserve human life. And this, this season, it's like it's us or them. You know, it's a matter of survival. I, I think that that's a really good uh, – uh, I thought that that was a really good way of demonstrating how, how the, the overall dynamic of the whole group has changed completely. I don't know, Donald, what do you think? I, I totally agree with what you said. It's just, you know, I would I would have more of a problem with it if it wasn't such a slow, slow burn. But the way they played it, it was a slow progression. Where you know these same people in season one, you know, they probably would have taken a, a while longer to try and, and do something. Now it's almost like it's not even a thought. You know, we need to protect our core group, and anybody else, you know, you have very slim chance. You know, if you if you cross us or if you even show that you're a, a threat in any kind of way, you know. You you instantly mean nothing to them, and I think it's a great great way to show it. I, there was one thing I did want to mention before we move on from this. Um, I, I do want to say overall too, this season has really developed Carl, and I think that they're doing a fantastic job with his character because he was like a little brat the last season, and he got Dale killed, and everyone was so upset about it. You know, it's like you know a dumb little kid doing you know the things they shouldn't be doing, but I feel like. He's stepped up so much, and because him and Rick have gone through all this this stuff together, you know, like, I feel like overall, like, his role is going to be just so so much more important, and I feel like his character now is so much more important to the group than it ever has been before, and I think that they've they've kind of written that whole thing really well to the point where it's so believable at this point where we're at that he that Carl is at the place that he's at, you know, with the group and everything. And I, I really think that they're doing a great job with him. At least I personally think that. I, I agree with everything she said except for him getting Dale killed. That was one of the things that was just really made me angry last year when people were saying <laughs> that because it was so stupid. I understand what they were trying to do. And, yeah, maybe that's the message they were trying to do is to make him feel guilty. But that zombie was stuck in the mud for however long. All of a sudden, he sees Carl, and he has the ability to free himself instantly. I guess not even believable. And Dale was stupid anyway. He, he got himself killed. That's all right. <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, <laughs> well said, Donald. <laughs> Actually, that's an excellent point, Donald. I, I tend to agree with that too. Yeah, seriously, dude. Um. All right. So, do y'all remember the last time we talked about Dexter? Might have been the, the opener, I want to say, the first two episodes. Yeah, I think so, or the first three. All I know is I'm pretty sure Lewis died the episode. Right after, after yeah. Yeah, so. Um, that night, it was that night, as a matter of fact. Yeah, which, you know, it's so funny because we were, like, talking about the potential of Lewis, and then he dies, and then, oh, my goodness, I was so upset. Like, I was so 
so upset about that. And I don't know. I, I I don't know if this is true, but I heard that the actor had some other gig or something, so they had to write him off the show. Um, I don't know how true that is. I'm just speaking from stuff I've heard via Twitter, but um, yeah. that really upset me, and I was like, forget Dexter forever. <laughs> like, really upset about that. But um, I don't know. Like, I don't even know where to start, just because there's the whole end of the season and the rest of the season, but. Like, I'll just kind of sum up, like, my overall thoughts, I guess, with this final, like, the final season, the final episode to come, you know. Um, I think overall what they did this season was kind of play a little bit of cat and mouse, and they didn't really get to the meat of it till near the very end. But I think there's a lot. For me, I personally felt like there was a lot of filler episodes getting to, like, the meat of the story. And I don't really know if that was intentional or if that was them trying to, like, fix stuff to compromise for the ending because I'm not even sure if the writers knew, like, the last, the next season would be the final. But I just feel like it kind of was a little disorganized and a little, like, a little too ADD in a way. Like, there seemed to have, there, there seemed to be, like, a little, a little bit of everything going on. And for me, that was a little distracting because sometimes, they lead you off into this place that seemed like, oh, something could come out of this, but then nothing really did. Like that that um that arsonist guy, like that just seemed like filler to me, you know. That was, that was a big disappointment. Yeah, you know, like what was what was the motivation for that to be in the story? Because it just kinda took away time from things like needed more important emphasis, you know. So I I don't know. I think overall though, like I'm very happy with how it ended, and I'm very excited to see how they kind of take care of the rest of these things. But I think overall the season was very, like, it was very back and forth. Like, it's very 50-50. It was, like, half good, half bad. But then again, that's, like, almost every season. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know. Um, I don't know if you all want to get into specifics on that, but I'd love to know what you guys, what you guys thought about it because the season was pretty crazy. I don't know. I thought the the season started really strong. Uh when we were talking about it last, uh I felt really excited for the season. I also thought that it finished really so- strong. I think you were right in saying that maybe there was a little bit of filler in the middle. Uh, although I really enjoyed the Isaac storyline. I really enjoyed the Hannah storyline. Um I I didn't probably like the finale as much as as many people did. Um I I didn't feel I didn't personally feel any tension uh when uh Deborah was coming to the to the uh to the shed. It, it just um uh, the second she got there I knew that she was gonna end up shooting LaGuardia. It just seemed that way to me. And so um to me that was just all a, a bunch of choreography to get it to that point from there on. I, I didn't feel the tension. And I think a lot of people did, but I, I just I just didn't. Um Otherwise, uh, you know, overall, uh, I would give the season probably an eight. Uh, but uh, most of my Dexter seasons are not lower than a seven either. So it's not like it's that much extraordinarily better than any other season. But I do feel like it was a better season that we've had in the last three yeah. uh, for me personally. Donald, how about you? Uh, I, I think you're dead on. And um, we actually talked a little bit about Dexter on the, on the Homeland podcast I did with Matt a couple of weeks ago. And one of the things that he said, because I was really hard on the whole Isaac plot. I, 
So um, I think Camille described it great when she said it was an ADD season. I felt that there was a lot of ADD arcs, you know, arcs that started and then abruptly finished or just kind of faded off. Just a lot of stuff in there. You know, at one point there was Esther and Cody did a, a weed episode or something. They came out of nowhere. The um, the whole fire guy, where I guess they were trying to lead you to think that maybe that was dope, so he was alive and he had gone crazy or something. But that turned into absolutely nothing. There was a, a just a lot of little stuff in there that just never panned out for me. But uh, the Isaac story, I was really hard on it the last time we talked about it, and Matt kind of said, uh, I think it was Matt. It was, I'm just going to give you the credit anyway, but you said, like, yeah, it was kind of ironic how it all played out, how these two guys who were, you know, going to try and kill each other ended up having to work together. And it was it was actually, it was a nice story. It, I think it ended a little too quick for me. I was, but then again, I guess going against the, the start of Dexter track record, where, you know, they would kind of keep Isaac around normally for the whole season, and at the end he'd end up on Dexter's table. And I thought, so maybe it was kind of a better way to end it. You know, yeah. a support more of a um, quick ending than have it, you know, trail off. But then they brought in the stupid flame guy, which killed like two episodes of just what what's going on. Why are these short as this? Uh, so the season, like for me, like you said, it's it's not that much better than any other season of Dexter, but it it had a really strong beginning, and it had a, like a it had a strong finish for me too, which uh, I think most of us call it. That end scene right from the beginning. So for me, Matt, I, I did enjoy it, but not for the same reasons as I guess the the writers would wanted to, which is that tension, what's going to happen. I already knew it was going to happen. It was just interesting to see how it would get there and to see the amazing job that that Deborah did. You know, the actor, the actress did. You know, performing that scene for me, it's really what won it over. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. I think too, like the the way that they kind of progressed, because it seemed like we all knew that the show was going to, we all had the basic idea of how the show was going to, or the the season was going to end. And it was going to be Deborah having to make some decision, you know, like we all definitely could agree that that was going to be the end of how this season went. And that's why, you know, it wasn't so shocking, but I think just, you know, like you said, the way it was executed and the acting was just really well done. And, and I definitely feel like this was one of the stronger endings not because, you know, there was this huge, you know, revelation, but because something rewarding kind of happened for the fans, at least, you know. Now, how they play that out is going to be, you know, obviously we don't have that kind of information, but it's just nice to kind of get that reward that we've been waiting for because I feel like each season has been, well, for the most part, you know, since, like, two, there's just been repeat, repeat, you know, how each season ends. It, it ends, it cleans slates, and we start all over, but now it just it feels a lot more like there's a lot of things kind of left unsaid and un, undone. So there's all this kind of like work that needs to be done to clean up. And, and that's exciting because it's not like they just kind of, they just cleaned everything up like they always do. So that's, that's one of the things I'm very like happy about with the ending. And like, as this, as the season kind of progressed, cause I wasn't really feeling the whole Hannah McKay thing. Like, as it progressed, yeah. I've seen and understood, like, what her purpose was, and I really appreciated appreciated her at the end. But, um, I don't know, like, for some reason, like, this season, this season alone kind of made me appreciate all the other seasons of Dexter, just because, like, they kind of hinted towards a lot of things in the past seasons. 
and they brought it up in subtle ways or not so subtle ways that kind of made you think about the things that he went through in that season in that one moment because we don't need to sit and think about it for an entire episode, you know. But, like, I don't know how to explain it, but there's just something that happened at one point, and and especially in the end where I was like, wow, I actually am kind of glad that those other seasons happened because all those things that seemed like they didn't really impact Dexter kind of developed into this this point, which I was like, holy crap, this actually means something. Like, all that stuff wasn't pointless, you know, just kind of like junk. Like, it actually meant something, and it means something now more than ever, so... Um, I'm ve- I'm very happy with kind of how they brought everything together because for me, I felt like at the end of the season, like all the other seasons made sense to me in terms of like where we're at now. And I've never thought about that until like this season. Like no other seasons really referenced the, the past seasons or past situations, at least for no more than a couple episodes. But like, I'm just, I don't know, like it really made me appreciate everything else. So it's a weird kind of thing that happened, but. I don't know, I'm kind of grateful for that, I guess. So you think that this this season made Dexter kind of on a global level better? Yeah, because yeah. I, I, I really didn't care about a lot of seasons and a lot of things that happened. But I don't know, I, there's just something that kind of clicked when certain things were said or talked about that it was just like this whole season has been kind of like leading up to a point of reference to other things that's happened, you know, like they keep talking about um, Dexter calling the dark passenger the dark passenger or, you know, these things with how he felt about, you know, his time with Lumand or Rita and how that kind of was encompassed both in in, in um, Hannah. So there's just all these little things that kind of like built up to it. And I felt like it just, it really wouldn't have shined if they didn't have those those other seasons, you know, in there to kind of, like, use as a reference and as a guide. So it really did make me appreciate the other seasons. And I don't know, it's it's something that just kind of clicked, like I said, when I was watching it. But it, it really did kind of make me, like, take a step back and look at everything that I've seen with Dexter and make me, like, see, like, it wasn't, it wasn't as pointless as it felt, you know, watching it and being like, wow, well, next season they're not going to address any of this, you know. And I'm also really glad that they addressed Deborah with her whole like I love you thing to Dexter or you know how she felt towards Dexter because I thought they might brush that off but they didn't so that was pretty cool cool yeah what else you got on Dexter Donald uh, I mean she she said it she said it perfectly the, the only problem I have with the last thing she said was that when they did uh, address that whole I love you thing it sort of leads me to believe that they're going to try and go to it next season and I don't want that to I was hoping it would be more of a closed book sort of thing, and it would. It would but it, to me, it didn't seem like we're closing the book on this. It seemed like they were to keep saying, "Hey, don't forget about this. We might bring it back." And they're yeah. kind of worried. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, you. I mean, personally, I, I felt like that that whole admission was a setup to why she did what she did in the shed in the finale. Um, so I can definitely see why you're concerned about that still being an issue. Absolutely. And and with the whole Isaac storyline, I, I definitely agree with Donald when you're saying, like, you know, you wish it would have lasted a little bit longer. Because, like, after a while and getting to know his character, I was like, this guy is pretty interesting. And the fact that he's kind of similar to Dexter in a way, 
of, you know, motivation and why he's doing what he's doing or whatever. Like, it was just kind of neat to see uh, another character coming from a totally different angle and coming at Dexter opposed to, you know, coming with him somewhere. It's just like, it was nice to get that dynamic and he definitely brought a different kind of feel to the show overall, which I was like, wasn't really sure about at first, but he, his storyline and just his acting was like, wow, man, this guy's really good. So I was kind of wishing there was more of him, but I don't know. It it played a good purpose, I think, in the show in the season too. So, yeah. Cool. Hey, Donald, I think it's your turn to bring up a subject. Okay, well, let's, we can play Buffy for, for last since that's probably the, the oldest thing. And um, that way, if, if somebody doesn't want to hear about it, they can, you know, drop out. But uh, if we could talk about Dr. Who since it started fresh on the plate. Um, sure. We'll talk about it then. <laughs> well, for Cox, what, did you, what did you like? What did you dislike? I don't. I don't think I disliked much at all, which is weird for me lately because the, the beginning part of season seven was really hit or miss for me. Like it was either good or just terrible. I didn't. I didn't really care for m- most of it, honestly. The um the last episode with Amy and Rory was was good. The dinosaurs on a spaceship I could really do without having seen that. Um, Tom Tom Mercy was good. The rest of them I don't even remember what happened. There was like a cube episode there which. Didn't even need to be made. It was so horrible. But uh, it, it, it seems like they're turning it around. It gave us a different dynamic, which is already more interesting. Uh, it's it's more of a personal type of thing with, with you know the one-on-one doctor and one companion, which uh, I'm interested to see how how Marshall tackle that because he's always had um, you know more than one person going on. Sometimes four or five people in the party. So uh, it, it'll be interesting to see them build that dynamic. The character to me. Already is, is is more interesting than Amy is or was. Yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> merely because of uh, you know what's going on, you know that that what the WTF factor already there, already in place, and uh, not to mention her personality is is way better than Amy. Or Amy was a sort of an aggressive, just a, a bitch type of person. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm being really brutal. I'm brutal in this podcast today. I'm sorry, but that's just how she came off to me. She was just. Like most of the time, I was just like, "What are you doing, Amy?" But, but um, Clara, she's more pleasant. She's a pleasant person. She has a, a beautiful smile, and she, she seems to be almost, uh, what's the word? Like drawn to the doctor, like more than just, you know, a, a curious person. It's almost like there's something else there. And the only problem, the only thing that I, I don't want to happen is that she turns out to be some kind of uh, regeneration of River. I just, just don't do that, and I don't think they'll be all right. Yeah. As far as plot wise, you guys had any like specific things about the part of the story that you want to bring up? Um, I'll I'll go. I honestly like I don't really remember much about the episode. Like <laughs> like the the storyline was just like for me so background. Like the thing that yeah. I, and then maybe it was just because what I was paying attention to was what was going on between the new companion and the doctor. Like, any time anything outside of that came up, I just was like, whatever, hurry up, get off the screen. Like, I want to know about this girl, you know. <laughs> but um, yeah. I don't know. Like, I just, I'm, I'm very interested in how they're playing her out just because she's, like, she is so smart. And she's, she's like, she gets onto the doctor's tricks. Like, she knows. And she's kind of figuring it out very quickly. 
And I think that that's awesome that we're getting someone who's kind of capable of playing his game, maybe even better. And that that's very exciting to see because most people just kind of follow him along and just kind of do, you know, what he says or, or doesn't do what he says. But the fact that this character is already figuring him out without us even knowing a damn thing about her is so, so refreshing to kind of get a totally different look on on, on the doctor because maybe we'll learn more about him because he's going to have to step his game up, you know what I mean? So it's it's very intriguing. I, I'm honestly, like, I wasn't into the, the storyline at all. I was more into what was going on between those two characters. But from what I've seen, she's definitely piqued my, my interest. Um, I, I really hope it isn't some regeneration, as you said, because that would be very, very dumb and <laughs> I'd be very upset about that. But, um, I don't know, like, I was talking to someone about the possibility that maybe she's some kind of, like, clone or something that can die because it's not the original clone or something weird like that. But I, I don't know. It's Doctor Who, so anything's possible. But it, there's some weird stuff going on with her. Like, I want to know what that's all about, too. So she, she's definitely – she has my attention, and that's very hard to do with companions nowadays. So I'm I'm into it. I'm into it very much. Well, I, I think that one of the reasons why the story seems so much in the background to you, Camille, and 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 to just about any uh, new series viewer is because the, the the actual villain in this is is somebody that was in one of the episodes that were lost in season uh, the with the second Doctor, uh, the Great Intelligence, and I wouldn't even have known about this if I hadn't been listening to other podcasts about it because I don't, you know, if if it's a lost episode, I've never seen it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, a lot of these guys were were talking about you know how cool it is that they brought that all that up, and it, I think what Moffat has been routinely trying to do uh, as of late is that if he does make classic references he tries to bury them so that classic fans will appreciate them but they won't be that important to the story itself and i think that that kind of folded in on itself with this episode um and brought the companion doctor stuff more to the forefront i don't know if it was more to the forefront than the intended i think that the purpose of a of an episode with a new companion is to get you to think something about the companion. So I think that that was the purpose of the, of the story overall. Uh, but as far as the plot that they were fighting, um, like I said, I think it probably got buried a little more in the background because people who aren't fanatical about Doctor Who uh, probably wouldn't even get the GI reference. And um, like I didn't. And I will say this about uh, the whole Jenna Louise Coleman thing, um, playing Clara Oswin. Oswald or whatever her name is, uh, she seems like the best match for the Doctor or the best chemistry with the Doctor since Rose and Nine, uh, since Rose and Eccleston. I, I that's totally was what brought me into into the the reboot of Doctor Who was the chemistry between Eccleston and Rose, and I really get that same kind of energy from from watching this episode. One thing that I am concerned about is how how taken the doctor was with her, uh, and he's supposed to be married. Yeah. <laughs> but that that's a Matt's tomato, you know. That's that's not a big deal. It's just one of those things that I was just kind of like. It all I always worry with Moffat because he brings up so many things, and then he leaves them aside, and sometimes he brings them back, and sometimes he doesn't. But it. it 
it kind of makes me look to a, forward to an episode where uh, Clara and River meet, which I, I hope will happen. Um, I think that that would be a, a pretty awesome episode to see how they react to each other. Definitely agree with you. And the whole like them being the most like the most compatible, I, I can totally see that. Just because, like I said, like she's kind of playing the game that he plays, and she's like keeping up with him. She's figuring him out so fast, and it's like. With with the doctor, he's always going to want to one up, you know. So it's going to be interesting to see where they'll take that and how far will the doctor go to kind of kind of be the number one, you know. So it's fun. I think it's there's a lot of great great chemistry as it is. So they they can only build on it, and I hope it continues to build because this this whole thing I think has so much potential. Like it feels like old familiar Doctor Who, like RTD almost like. There's a lot of excitement with the interaction alone. So, as long as you know the background isn't too crazy, like it's all game. I think I'm hoping we're in for a good run with these two. So, we'll see. Um, everything you said was right on point. Um, the the story itself, uh, like the the guy. First of all, I thought I got the immediate impression that he was like the, the Scrooge guy from the the special like two years ago. Um, I thought that's what they were trying to do, but then he turned into like this pretty much one-dimensional, forgettable character that really I didn't even understand. I, mean, I couldn't even tell you what happened to him. I don't remember. Uh, and there was another thing that reminded me when when the, um, they had the huge snow globe with the snow inside of it. It, it seems like Moffat is always doing like this disembodied voice, you know. And it just it it, it just came up to me as um, that we never found out who was saying that silence will fall in the TARDIS. How would a voice even get in the TARDIS to say that? And, you know, what, whatever happened to that? And then there was the whole thing with the, on the planet that, that, like, the guy would eat the Time Lords or whatever. There was a voice there, too. And it's like a Moffat just, he, he likes doing that whole little voice thing. Um, but, yeah, the, the snow and the stuff like that, I heard that that was a sort of, there's a, a story, like, directly that happens, like, after that. And it's sort of similar. It's called, like, The Abominable Snowman. And the doctor sort of inadvertently causes that to happen in this episode, you know, of his older self. So I thought that was kind of cool. But um, I'd never be able to go back and find those episodes to to catch up on. But it's nice that he's putting stuff in there for the the old loyal fans, but he's not putting it so much in the forefront that you would have to know that stuff to enjoy it. Right. Yeah, that's that's neat that, you know, that does call out to the older fans because I could imagine – you know, being someone who grew up with that stuff and then seeing these type of episodes now, it's like there's so much foreground. Like, they, they had all this potential or they had all these past enemies that they just kind of dropped. And it's kind of nice to know that they still are referencing that because, you know, you got to pay tribute to the greats, you know. <laughs> like, there's there was stuff before that, before this whole thing. So that is I'm, – I'm glad they're still – kind of incorporating the old, the older type of enemies or storylines or whatever, because, like I said, it's just good to kind of pay your respects, and that makes me appreciate the efforts that they are going into some level of death in, in the back, the back of, you know, Doctor Who, way back when, so that's, that's cool as you're doing that. I didn't know, so kudos to Moffat, I guess. <laughs> right on. Anything else about Doctor Who? Yeah, I'm, I think that's all I got. Yeah, I um I had a problem with the, with the new opening credits and the new song, but it it kind of grew on me. 
I watched. I, I got the YouTube video. It had like all the credits ever since the first season, like sixty years ago, and I just watched it all. And I was like, yeah, it, it really is paying homage to the older credits, even the the um the change in the the sort of whistle is like really old school. But to to me, I, I love the season five credits with the um. And which is part of the season six ones too, with the smoke and the lightning and stuff. Like, that was really intense to me, and I like the, the new theme that they they made. And it's still sort of a variation on it, even though it's slightly changed. But then the, the stuff that he was doing with the early season seven credits, where he would just like put a filter over it, it was just like horrible. I was like, what is he doing? It's just terrible. Yeah. But um, I don't know. I just wish he would just like get it together. <laughs> Hey Donald, I know you listen to the DWO Who cast, um, and I don't know if you've listened to the Earth Station One cast or not. But uh, you know, me and you were both kind of like talking about the the new console room. And do you know why they had to do that? Why? They they actually they moved their sets from one location to another in Cardiff, and it was cheaper to build a new set than it was to dismantle the old set and move it. So they decided, okay, it's the 50th year anniversary. We're going to do a retro thing. That's why. That's why it ended up changing. Um, okay. And uh, hopefully there'll be a, at least a mention as to why uh, within the story. Because I mean, there was no, you know, I think all he said was change the desktop or something like that. And um, there's no, there's no other reference to it. So I almost feel like that at, at some point in some little reference or somewhere they have to explain why he did it. Yeah, because I, I did get the impression that there was a lot of time that had passed. You know, in between. Yeah. So, I mean, something could have happened that they could easily just not explain it and just say, well, he could just give a line like, oh, I've been traveling for a thousand more years. Because Moffat likes to do that too. You know, in between episodes, you know, like 500 years will pass, and he'll just kind of hint at it. So, and, then, and if you look at the TARDIS, it was kind of beat up. You know, I think like last season we saw like River and uh, the Doctor were painting the TARDIS, so it had like a fresh coat of paint. But now, if you look at it when it was up in the, when it showed it up in the clouds, it was really like beat up. So some time it out in yeah. Japan, so who knows? Maybe we'll get to see that in like a flashback or something. Because the, um, the only time that we've seen the TARDIS really like change was when uh, David Tennant like exploded on it and just had destroyed it. Right. So, uh, yeah. Who knows? I mean. But they, they did make a mention that you could change the desktop at will or whatever, something like that. So who knows? But as far as the control room itself, I, I, I saw that I watched this episode three times, which to me tells me it was it was a really good episode because uh, I never watched any of the, the newer Doctor Who besides season five um, and a little bit of season six. I never watched them more than once or twice. So I've already watched this one three times. And I just I just don't like it. I, I'm sorry, I just don't like the new console. It just seems too almost Star Trek, and it's too dark. Maybe if it was brighter, it just seems like it would be really crowded or cramped in there and bad lighting, and it just wouldn't... It, I, I can't I can't picture them in there. Now, of course, I haven't seen them in there that much, having conversations, but when I, I think back to, like, season... Since the, um, the new TARDIS came, the Nationalist TARDIS, the kind of Willy Wonka psychedelic type of thing, there's a lot of room in there. It's roomy, and there was a lot of people in there, and there was, they put a lot of scenes in there. I just can't see them shooting scenes in that TARDIS like that. It just seems like really small and dark and weird. I don't know. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. 
Yeah, I, I, um, I'm kind of indifferent to it, you know, because uh, it reminds me a lot of like the the uh, doctors four and five uh, Tardises uh, that I saw on PBS when I was younger. Uh, so it, it, to me, it just seemed like a callback. I was like, okay, this is the 50th year anniversary. They're going to do a whole season with this this different one, and that's fine if you want to have that kind of reference for classic fans. That's cool. Um, but I can definitely see where you're coming from in terms of like staging and in terms of uh, because you're right. Uh, a lot of those cool uh, scenes that we we've gotten in season five and six in the TARDIS have been where people are moving around and going underneath the console and, yeah, and talking and stuff. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that for sure. Maybe we'll get more of it because they did do this revamp of it. So maybe it'll work. I don't know. It's the only thing I the only thing I can really remember that stood out to me about the council was and it was mainly the background. It just seemed a little simplistic, like the surroundings and the atmosphere just seemed very minimal and small. And I don't know if that was like the room or like what it just kind of looked like overall, but it just felt very plain. I don't know if if that's something that y'all picked up on, but it was just something I thought about because I was anticipating the look of it because I had heard that there was a new kind of like look in the TARDIS. It just seems a little bit like simplistic in the background. So I don't know, maybe it'll vamp up a little bit, hopefully. If not, maybe it'll work better with people inside of it, you know. I think it'll be worse with people inside it because you can't fit really more (laughs) than people in there. It'll just just be really crowded. But uh, to me, here's my problem, my main problem. If you're not a fan of the old Doctor Who, you've never seen the old Doctor Who, which I think, by this point, I think a majority of people that are watching it are new fans. Yeah. I, I, w- I don't think it would be out of line for me to say that, but um, I, I think that it's almost a step back. You know, if you've watched it since uh, Eccleston, it, it, and, you know, it's, it's almost a step back. And you're like, why did he downgrade the TARDIS? That, that was my immediate thought, that he downgraded the TARDIS. So, I don't know. You're going to upset so many old fans. Oh, well, they'll get over it. <laughs> they're, not, they're not listening to this, I guarantee. Probably not. <laughs> I hope not after that comment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, I'm, I'm excited. When does it start again? Is it March, April? Yeah, it's either March or April. I don't I don't think they've determined. I have heard that there's not going to be anything in the fall other than the uh, – 50th anniversary special in November. Um, so, and then I guess they'll probably pick up with another Christmas special um, too. And that Matt Smith has uh, gone on record as saying that this is not his last Christmas special, so he's at least going to do one more. Which yeah, he signed on I, for like next year. Yeah. But, uh, how many so, episodes have they already aired? Counting this Christmas special, it's like five, right? It's still got like it, nine, nine to Yeah. Uh, we should have we should have a pretty good run come this spring. I, they've done it in years past where they they kind of came out what around uh, right around Easter, right? So yeah, hmm. yeah. hopefully that we'll get that again. All right. So Buffy, <laughs> where should we start with Buffy? You should start with Buffy. What do you think? Well. I have I have two two things to that. I have like initially how I felt and like over time where that's brought me like because I feel slightly different. Well, I think I feel a lot more different 
than how I initially felt. And initially, um, I thought it was pretty, it was a pretty clean ending, like to the overall series. Um, it made sense why things went down the way that they did. I was just a little underwhelmed. Like I was kind of hoping and expecting something grander to have taken place. Um, and then with, with time and, you know, talking with people, I did appreciate the ending a little bit more just because, you know, it was, I think I was talking with you, Donald, when you were saying yeah. how basically that was the ending that they deserved considering they'd been through all this stuff and it was finally time for them to rest. And I was like, well, you know what? That is true. You know, they've been through hell and back basically. And they, they finally, you know, the gang can finally just, you know, be done with it and pass the work on to other people. And, um, Besides, like, the whole, like, multiple Slayer thing, like, I didn't feel like much was revealed at the end of the series, which I was very disappointed in, because I was kind of hoping something grand would come to, come to light. And I don't know if that would be addressed in, in Angel's finale, but overall, I just felt like there wasn't much that kind of changed or kind of, like, was said at the very end of Buffy. I mean... I am very, very much appreciative of the show. Like, I think that's one of the best shows, like, to be out there. It's it's definitely, it has its place in the TV kingdom, if you will. But I think they just did so much good work clearing up and ending the season at five that it kind of undermined anything that they could have ever done to kind of, like, compete with that. Because... For me, season five had the strong... Is it season five where they thought they were going to be done for, right? Yeah, when she died, yeah. Yeah, like, like that was so perfect. I mean, I mean, granted, it was so tragic what happened, but, like, I felt that was, like, the strongest thing they could have done to kind of wrap up that storyline, wrap up everything. But then, like, because it was resurrected and, you know, they had to act accordingly, I just kind of felt so underwhelmed because there was that knowledge of this great ending happening and knowing that that was supposed to happen. And that maybe that was also, maybe that could have, you know, ruined the ending for me, but it just didn't compare on any level to what season five did at the end. So I was just kind of like, that was such a big finish. I was hoping they would do that again, but you know, it was more simple, way more relaxed, which can be for multiple reasons. And it, and, and it does make sense in context. Like, you know, this is something that it, it kind of is Buffy's turn. Like, it's her turn to kind of relax. I mean, she's already died. Like, <laughs> she needs a break, you know. But it, it was very, like, the only thing I can say about it, and, and, and I don't mean it in, like, a negative way. It's just it was underwhelming. Like, from what I thought and expected it to be, it wasn't up to par. But it was a good ending for the overall series. And... Ultimately, like, the things that they did with Willow, because I had a huge problem with her becoming, like, the bad witch. Like, I think it really paid off in the final season because there was just, it was like walking on thin ice, you know, with her trying to use her powers. And, like, I just thought the work they did with her especially was, like, so, so awesome because I was so against angry, you know, witch Willow. But, like, come this season, like, it was just like it kind of brought her down and, got her off of this, like, power kick thing that she was going on, and it, it just worked so well. Like, I'm, I don't know. I was very happy about it. Just, I was very happy about the ending, even though it wasn't what I was expecting it to be, you know? Gotcha. 
Uh, Donald, I don't know if you remember this or not, but if you remember I, when I watched the Buffy season finale, I think we went on talk show and I watched it on Netflix while you sat there on the phone with me. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, I remember, Camille, I, was, I felt kind of the same way. I was kind of like, that's it and everything. And it took a little while for it all to sink in. Yeah. So I can definitely see where you're at now. I, I, you know, it's been a while since I watched Buffy, but I still have favorite episodes. Um, obviously, hey, what are what were some of your favorite episodes, Camille? Um, Hush was definitely one of them. I think one of the best episodes of TV, I would say, is Hush. Um, there's just so much physical acting, and like I love how even though there weren't words spoken, because we knew these characters so well, their physical gestures were so like characteristic. You know, um, I really love the episode where Faith and Buffy switch bodies. That was just so well done on the actresses' parts. Like, I, I, I used to think that um, Buffy, the the actress, or Sarah Michelle Gellar, right? That's her name. I used to think like she was so overrated, but like coming from the beginning of Buffy to end, like this this woman has earned her spot. Like she is so good at what she does. Um, and then I think the episode after the musical. Um, it was so awesome where they all like forget their memory. That was just, it was so great to me. Like I loved it so much. Um, those are the top I can think of like at like this instance, but those, those yeah. are like some of my ultimate favorite ones for sure. And there's a lot it's like, um, the body is one of my favorites. Uh, the, the wish I think it is where Anya like changes or that, um, she was the demon and she like changes the past or something. And then the, they had doppelganger. Oh yeah, for like season season three, and then uh, Superstar with Jonathan. Was oh like, yeah, that uh, was funny. <laughs> that was a really good one. Um, there's there's a bunch. There's the one where Buffy turns invisible. I really like that one. Uh, mm-hmm. The one from season three when Spike comes back, Lovers Walk, uh, and you know she he kind of gives commentary on her and Angel's relationship and how it's never going to work. I thought mm-hmm. that was a really good one. Uh, anything with Spike in it really. Um, a lot of the season seven. Because uh, the Buffy and Spike relationship had grown to it was it wasn't a sexual in your face relationship anymore. It was really subtle, and it was really like I mean I don't think they they had sex at all that season. It was just really a lot of talking and, and stuff like that. And it really meant that meant a lot more to me than any of the the, the, the harsh sex that they were having. In season I think three like, break and stuff. Yeah, I think that the thing that worked so well with that was the previous season was a physical relationship and then yeah. that final season was an emotional, you know. And and it worked so well because they had been through all this stuff, like, physically, and it was like they were so tired of it and the baggage that kind of came with it. And then they kind of settled down and kind of worked out their, their own little issues with one another to be tolerable. Yeah. And it was just, like, it was so believable. I, I definitely liked how they did that, for sure. And I remember you were telling me on Twitter, yo, Buffy and Spike, what? I hate this. I know, it's I so said, against it. Wait. It was so wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it's still wrong. <laughs> um, what, what were your favorite episodes, Matt? Do you have any in particular? Uh, actually, you guys have pretty much mentioned all of my favorites. I mean, I, I think Hush was fabulous for the way that the score uh, helped emphasize. All, and this is all just from a musical perspective. So yeah. I, I, I think that uh, the score really helped emphasize the drama uh, of that episode as well as, as their acting. And um, at the same time, juxtaposing that, 
the body where there's there's no music. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I that uh, felt very um, sobering, I guess, yeah. in a way. Yeah. Uh, and I, I love those. Those two are probably my favorite two episodes. Um, season seven, I really enjoyed the Buffy uh, Spike relationship. Um, like I said, it took a while for the for the finale to to uh, sink in with me. But um, also, uh, the season five finale is one of my top favorite episodes. It was just so dramatic and and so um, huge. Yeah. It, it was it was a beautiful thing for 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 what it was and just overall like and and that definitely is on my top I believe too like the season finale of five just because everything was at high stakes and like it paid off in the end too and and the one thing that I did love that they brought up later was the fact that you know they thought they were pulling her away from some some hell or something and you know that she was in heaven or some some peaceful place. And, like, I loved how they incorporated that when they first brought her back. Like, she's like, am I in hell? Like, because she has no idea where she's at, and they took her away from something so wonderful. And I just think, like, that whole, like, that whole notion was just, like, so done well. And it, it wouldn't have worked if they if they didn't do that whole grand finale with season five. So, I mean, even though, like, that was, I think, the high point of the, the season finales, like, they did such a good job kind of, like, playing on that and referencing it. So, I don't know. This show is done a lot of great things. I'm very happy yeah. I could have watched it. And, uh, um, one, of, one of my favorite episodes, uh, was the, I think it was the first episode that I recorded like when we had VCR. And it was the um, episode Fool for Love with, uh, with Buffy and Spike. And it started on, on Buffy and then it, it finished on Angel. And it was like, it had all these flashbacks, you know, incorporated throughout. And then uh, you see, you kind of see one angle on Buffy where oh, he's, yeah. he's angelic. Yeah, then when, when it goes to Angel, like, you find out it's, like, totally different than what you thought you saw on Buffy. I thought that was a, just a, a wonderfully intertwined kind yeah, of crossover. Yeah, that was definitely, like, my, that was my favorite, like, overall crossover, like, thing that they did at that point. Because I was like, well, actually, overall, because that was the, the most strongest point of storytelling that they had did between the two shows, which I thought worked so well. And I was, and, and actually, that was something, too, like, on Angel, they just did an episode. I just watched an episode where um, Angel and Spike are, like, fighting and bickering, and they're doing a flashback of them, like, saying how they're going to be best friends, you know. And it was, like, that was a great episode, yeah. too, just kind of referencing their, their whole dynamic. Like, it's it's awesome. Like, I love it. Yeah. I don't know. Like, overall, I'm I'm very happy with the the things that I've kind of learned with storytelling with just Buffy alone. And just kind of oh, doing the intertwining thing was just awesome with Angel. Yeah, speaking of storytelling, that was one of uh, the episode Storyteller with Andrew. Yeah, that was that good, was too. a really, really funny episode, too. I, I loved him. It was so terrible, like, not the episode, but, like, watching the last season because I was so fearful that they were going to kill Giles. So, like, every episode, it's like, I'm, like, <laughs> sitting at the edge hoping that Giles doesn't show up or something because... Like I would, I don't know if I would have been able to carry on if they killed Giles. Like he's too special to me. I would have been so upset. And they even they like fool you into thinking he's dead, and he might be like the first. Yeah. And then, uh, there's this really funny scene where Spike hits him or something, and he's like, "Why did you hit me?" He's like, "Well, I thought you were the first. And he's like, "So why would you hit me? You know, it wouldn't hurt me anyway." Like, it was just funny. 
Yeah, yeah but they do that whole thing where, like, you think Giles got, like, decapitated, and then they don't show you that scene. They don't show you the other side of that scene for a few episodes. Mm-hmm. And it freaked me out. Yeah, I, I was watching it, and I'm like, I'm not going to judge. I'm just going to wait. <laughs> I'm just going to wait, and then we'll see what happens. But it was good. I'm I'm very, very happy I decided to watch the show. I'm very curious to see how Angel ends just because I've been hearing so many different things about it being good or bad or people even saying it's, like, the best ending of TV ever. So, it's I don't know. It's uh, like, you got to watch it. No, no, I'm keeping myself spoiler-free from all that, but I'm definitely intrigued to kind of see where it's at because for for this season to be ending is so tragic to me because, like, having Wolfram and Hart as, like, their business just seems like there's so many awesome things they could have did with this, like, are done with this, which makes me, like, really sad that this is going to go away because there could be so many awesome, like, storylines that develop from just them being at Wolfram and Hart and the fact that this is the final season makes me very sad. So yeah, it was a it was a really, really different season from and when I when I really break it down or think about it, almost every season of Angel was like totally different than the one before it. Yeah. And they would always do do new stuff, so it was it was sort of fitting. There was a while where I didn't like it and it was one of the things of of um Part of the downfalls of watching something on TV live week to week is like it's totally different than just you watch it whenever you want at your own exactly. leisure. But uh, I didn't like it because I was thinking, oh, they're in suits, they're all sellouts, they're not fighting, they're just sitting around doing paperwork, and I was so mad at it. And then when I actually after it ended, I got the DVDs and and watched it. I really and I really liked it, and especially knowing that that's the last season. You know, you just kind of you start to treasure it a little bit more. Yeah, like. That's just definitely where I'm at. Like, I, I see the show for what it's worth, and I see the potential, and it just kills me because this is it. And the things that they are already addressing and doing is just so, so well done. And the fact that it's going to kind of tie up and just close forever is so <laughs> so disheartening. Yeah. Like, I don't want it to... It's really dark. I think yeah. it's really dark stuff in Angel. Do you guys have, like, a, a favorite season overall with um, Angel? Probably four. Four was amazing. Yeah. Four four was pretty good. Four was pretty good. I don't know. Um I I felt like and and maybe it was just because it was um there were a couple spots that were hit and miss, but I, I felt like I got more out of the last season. Although, you know, again, I just watched this like within the last year and a half. And so I, I, you know, I ran through everything really quickly, yeah. as, as Donald can testify to. Just like I ran through uh, eight or seven and a half seasons of Supernatural in three months. But uh, it, it's it's one of those things where I just feel like um, six really, or the final season really five. just felt uh, five, five or six, five. five. Yeah. Uh, really felt like uh, a, a, a good way to go out, and I think that once you see the finale, you'll you'll feel a little different. Although Donald's got a good point about four. Well, for me, four four was good right up until the end with uh, yeah. Cordelia. She got pregnant and stuff, and then they had to do the stupid stuff with with Jasmine and and all the other stuff. 
And uh, Connor, I, you, you just hate the guys. Like, shut up. Just go sit down somewhere. But they, um, I think they do a, a good job with Connor once it's all said and done. Um, yeah. Yeah, four, it, it built so much momentum. Yeah. And then there was the whole thing with, with Chris McCarpenter, which Matt got to talk to or something or see or whatever. Shut up. I hate him. But, um, <laughs> She's a lovely person in person. I will tell you that, yeah. Donald. There's all these rumors. And, about her not, you know, she didn't tell the production staff or Josh that she was pregnant, so they had to, they had to write her into the story or write her out of the story in these weird ways and make all this other stuff happen. And then they ended up, you know, firing her or whatever. So it was just, it was sort of sad because I, I was, believe it or not, I was buying the whole Angel and Cordelia relationship. Oh, I was too. Yeah. And I'm yeah, really upset. Like for, for me, like it's kind of like, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the show Castle, but Castle for a good while, and I think they they have finally addressed it, like teased between the two main characters that there's this, you know, this interest, you know, love interest or something, and they never addressed it. And for, like, a couple seasons, they just kept playing so hard on it and then would take it away. And, like, I feel like that's what they did here. And for me, that's so ineffective. There's no actual, there's no actual kind of, like, you know what, I guess like overall action or consequence for it. I think it, I think the show Castle finally addressed it, but I had stopped watching before then because I was so tired of it. Like it gets old after a while, you know. And I'm so upset yeah. that they did all this beautiful groundwork for these two awesome characters to maybe work something, and then and then like out of nowhere she goes away. Like that really like if there's one thing about Angel that will forever upset me is the fact that they worked so hard to do that and come to come to find like it just it didn't happen like why would you do so much great beautiful work between these characters and, and for it to mean nothing you know well when it when it's all said and done i think you'll get you'll get your ending not maybe not what you want or anything but yeah i think angel did a good job of of, of um with what they had you know you got to realize that they couldn't do everything they wanted to but by the end i think they wrapped up the characters in a satisfying way to um, almost every character i would say that's good. So yeah, don't, like, I mean, don't, don't worry about it. It's just the last season. You'll just enjoy it. Um, you, by the way, you said Castle. If you if you like Castle, just watch Bones. It's pretty much <laughs> it's the same thing, but it, but Bones is better. And plus, uh, David Boreanaz is in Bones. So. Yeah, yeah. I was actually thinking about watching that show after Angel, just because yeah. I think he's a great actor, and to see him in something else would be nice. Um, it's pretty much the same thing as Castle. It's just the, almost the same thing as far as the dynamic between the two main characters. But it's, like, still going. And they yeah. actually pay it off after a while, so it's not... not yeah, that's the thing with, with Castle that was so aggravating to me. It was just there was this, this obvious, you know, wonderful kind of, like, relationship. And everyone shipped it, you know, but no one in the show addressed it. And it was just... Like, when you do that for a few seasons, it gets so annoying when nothing's addressed. Like, for me, that doesn't keep me, that doesn't make me want to come back. That makes me just want to stop, and I did, you know. Yeah. But, I don't know, that's, that's a whole nother show. <laughs> it's a whole nother show. I was reading, I was reading recently, because Castle was like in, in, in season eight or nine. Yeah. That, um, let's see, that, that David Boreanaz has set some kind of record for most consecutive years on, on television. Because he was on Buffy from the very first season. That's like in 1998. And he went straight from Buffy, did five years of Angel, and now he's done like nine years of Bones. So he's really wow. never left TV. 
Good for him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he deserves it, though. Yeah, he's he's a great actor. I, I just can't believe, like, all the awesome things they, they've done with him. Like, with the whole, like, um, like his dynamic with Faith, like, is so awesome. Like, I can't explain yes. how much I just love that whole pair. Like, they just work so well together. And that's the one thing, too, about Buffy I didn't get to mention is, like, I really disliked Faith for a long time. And then when she finally, like, kind of cracked and we've seen her have more than just this kind of one-faced thing, it, it was so nice to know that, like, there was a human being underneath all that, you know? And yeah. her changing and, you know, kind of trying to get better, like, it was just, for me, it, it gained me more respect for her than any other character in Buffy. Like, and quite honestly, like, I, I really don't like Buffy as a character. Like, I don't like the writing that they do for her because I feel like they're a little too kind to her character. It's kind of like how Dexter is just nowhere near as extreme. Like, they just kind of, like, pull these strings for Buffy all the time. And I'm just, for me, it's just kind of like, like, overall, like, I felt like I was just watching a spoiled brat. Like, (laughs) watching Buffy. It was so annoying. Like, and and the only thing that kept me there was obviously, like, her her friends and the other characters because they were just so... They were just so refreshing from the type of character that Buffy was. So, yeah, and exactly. I don't know, like that was my 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 my, my issue with the show Buffy was the lack of development that she had because everyone grew so much more than she did, and I was just kind of like, this is the main character. She should have a little more than just a few kind of like scratches and developments from all this all these things that's happened. But I don't know, that's. That's just my opinion. I'm sure a lot of people would disagree with that, but I no, was not a fan of Buffy. You're definitely in the majority. A lot of people didn't, didn't really care for Buffy. She was, how do you say, she was tolerable as yeah. a main character, but really it, it was a, the supporting cast that made her better. Exactly. You know, it made the show better. It, it's really, it's all the supporting cast, even to the point where, where Angel, it's like the same thing with Angel. Like People would like Angel more than like Buffy. Um, and, and even at one point, probably, I hate to say it, but to this day, I think I like Spike more than Angel, which it really? made me really, it made me really sad to say that, but Spike was such an incredible character, and when he went on Angel, you could really see the differences between the two, yeah. where Spike is, like, really in your face, I mean, he starts to show sort of the flaws in, in Angel's character, and how Angel even starts to become, well, I'm, I'm not going to get too, too into it, because you're not that far into Angel, but you'll see the dynamic between him and Spike. It's, it's, it's amazing, and it really it brings out the best and the worst in Angel. Yeah, like around. that's why like Spike has always been like one of my favorites, and like seeing him come this far, and even now he's on the other show. It's like it, there's only more to him, like that we we're only gonna learn more about him, basically. And yeah, there's and, a lot more there too. Just keep watching. Yeah, like there's if there's one thing about like the show, just in, both of the shows in general, is like their progression with characters is usually done so well. And, like, with Spike, I don't feel like he's grown too much, but I feel like that's a part of who he is, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and it's, like, that comes with that comes with other consequences. You know, you learn about his past, and you realize this is why he is the way he is. Like, he's grown to this person, so the development's kind of done, but we get that past as to why he is who he is now. And I think yeah. that's really tricky to do, and it's done very well, so. Yeah, when he was human, yeah. he was, like, the complete opposite of what he yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think that's so awesome. Like, he's just, oh, it's it's good writing for sure. Well, 
I mean, you, even, even to the point that you're at now in season five, um, I'm sure you, you would agree if I said this, but I think uh, the, the character that's grown the most and had the most dramatic change probably has to be Wesley. Oh, God, yes. And, man, like, I feel for Wesley every single time. Like, I feel so horrible for him and, like, just, oh, my goodness. He's he's definitely one of my favorite characters, too. Like, he's he's just, I don't even know how to explain just what he's done for his friends. Like, that's the one thing I love about him, too. Like, in the end, he always looks out for his friends, even if that means doing something to kind of, you know, something that would be looked against his friends or something like that, you know, like he's always looking out for his people. And I think like he's probably one of the most honorable characters on that show. Yes, so, I agree totally. I'm just, I'm so scared that he's going to die and I don't know how I'm going to deal with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you should be time. scared about anybody on Angel because one of the things like I learned from watching Angel is like, man, they like from early on, they'll just, they'll get rid of anybody. They don't care. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes, but. Soon enough, one of my favorite people in the earlier season was Lindsay. And then yeah. uh, he, he kind of left. I was really disappointed when he left because yeah. I didn't like Lila. Me and, neither. Uh, I was so glad to see her die, especially by yeah. Cordelia's hands. I thought that was kind of awesome. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and but, one, uh, of the best things, one of the best no. things about Lila was the fact that they paired her up with Leslie. Yeah. And that really made, made her more enjoyable. One of my favorite scenes ever uh, one of my favorite quotes ever was when Lila uh, and, and him were having like sexual relations or whatever. And she walks out and says, "Like, don't think about me when I'm gone." And he says, "I wasn't thinking about you when you were here." <laughs> yeah. Like when that happened, like because I was watching with my friend, we both got like we both got really so like, "Oh, I changed you!" <laughs> you know, like we just laughed. <laughs> it was great. Like I, I think that's like probably one of the most cold, cold-hearted cold lines I've ever heard, and it's probably yeah. the most ironic because it's coming out of someone who's not very cold-hearted. At least you don't <laughs> think he's cold-hearted. Maybe he was in the moment, but, yeah. yeah. Wesley's a great character, and I totally agree. Like, Lindsay is such a great, like, he's, like, he kind of, like, plays on either side, and, like, you don't really know where he stands, but, like, I love just the actor, and I love, like, the kind of dynamic he brought because, no matter what side he's on, he was always confident, and I love that about him. Yes. And and yes. actually, the the last episode I watched, I guess like that lady intern or whatever, she's like sleeping with him or something. That's like his girlfriend. I was like, what the hell is this? Yeah, that was so pretty cool Lindsay's when I brought him back. back. I haven't watched the the next episode, but Lindsay's back, so yeah. I'm excited to see where this goes. That's why I brought it up. I, I wasn't sure if you were on that part yet. I just wanted to remind you about Lindsay. I, I didn't know if you had already seen him come back yet. Yeah, he's he's back. I just haven't seen the the following episode, so I'll keep y'all posted on Twitter. <laughs> I'm sure the ending's coming soon because. So you're you're on episode eight, right? Yeah, I think that was eight. That was the last episode I watched. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, you got some good stuff coming up. What did you think about the um, episode? I think it was seven, which um. When you when Wesley's father comes back, or you think um, it was it was very interesting to see kind of all the because I felt like there was a lot of hints that Wesley had daddy issues, yeah. and it was kind of um, interesting to see them finally bring his father to screen, like what he looked like, how he was with Wesley, and. I don't know. It also, kind of showed Wesley being vulnerable to his dad, like kind of hoping his dad had some faith in him, even though it was, like, this robot thing, whatever. 
I I really liked it just because it showed kind of who Wesley is around his father and like how it kind of breaks him down and makes him kind of like question everything. Like all his confidence is quite clean. And so I thought that that was. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. That was a little bit. No, no, he essentially reverted back to the the old character. Yeah. And I thought how much he had grown. And I think that it's, I don't know, like, if you've ever been in a situation where, like, you're around someone that you're, like, a boss or something like that, like, you start to question your 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 job, your work, just because you're, like, someone is looking over my shoulder, you get nervous, you start acting, you know, kind of, kind of, like, foolishly, you know. So it's, like, it's so realistic in how that happened, too. And you bring up a great point. Like, it definitely reverted him back to who he was. And it definitely shows who he was versus who he is, you know. And I love how by the end of the episode, he gets back his confidence of who he is and he, you know, makes that initiative to kill him and realizes yeah. it takes a lot of it takes a lot of guts to kind of make that move and the fact that he was able to despite it being his father. Like, he did what he had that to was, do. That was a and, powerful scene because he, he kind of yeah. like threw up afterwards. He made himself sick to his stomach that he had to shoot his own dad. But the fact that he had raised that gun to Fred and, you know, mm-hmm. he, he finally got to, or he, he always um, had a thing for Fred, so. And I like how he told her, but didn't tell her how he felt about her at the end of the episode, you know? Yeah. Like, he's like, I did it because he had a gun to you, and then that was kind of the last that was really mentioned. So we'll see how that plays out, but I'm glad he finally let, he, he finally told Fred, like, how he feels, because that's been a long thing in the making, and I just want to see them together. I just feel like it's so right. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. We'll see how that plays out. But, yep, I'm definitely digging Angel for sure. All right, so. (laughs) So, are we calling it then? I think that's all we got for these two shows, Buffy and Angel. Yeah, I think so. All right. I'm Matt. Follow me on Twitter at Musical Concepts. I'm Camille. Follow me at Lady Oddity. And Donald follow me at Donald Jr.